Uh, <clears throat> the reading this morning is from First Peter chapter five, verses five and seven. So, if you want to open your Bibles, and it's up, up the back here as well. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Hi. My name is Norb, and I have a problem. Maybe you laugh a little because you think a problem, as in only one. The truth about this problem is that it's not only my problem, it's yours too. Sorry to break it to you. Like me, you probably find it hard to admit, but we do all have this problem in common. All people, by nature, are self-absorbed and self-centered, at least to some degree until God begins to do a transforming work in our lives and begins to slowly chip away at that. But there is a word for this common problem. It's called pride. And today our study of First Peter causes us to face this problem head on. But the beauty of these three simple verses that Greg read for us is that they also provide for us a cure a way to address this problem head-on. I could have finished this series today, but it would have meant flying over some very important verses at about 35,000 feet. And so next week, Pastor Ken will bring the final message in the Hope series by looking at the final verses 8 through 14. And so that means that we can look at these three verses, 5, 6, and 7, in a little more detail. And so let's return to this common problem, pride. We've probably all heard this phrase, pride comes before a fall, right? Let me illustrate for this for you. How many of you are golfers? Can I see this? Uh, quite a few. Those of you who aren't, you probably will understand this anyways. I hope so, or otherwise it's completely pointless and irrelevant, but I'll try anyways. So you get to the golf course early for a change. You feel good, you have some time, you get to the driving range, you warm up, you hit some balls, and everything just feels great. They're long, they're straight. You get to the putting green, everything is dropping, the practice putting green, everything's dropping, you feel great. You just can't wait to get on that first tee. You get on the first tee, and it's like par, par, birdie, par. And you start to think, the tour could use me. And what happens on the very next hole? Eight, 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 triple bogey, quadruple bogey, snowman after snowman after snowman. I have had many around completely come apart as soon as you start to think, this is easy. I'm pretty good. And it just all goes south from there. Well, through the centuries... There's been made a list, not one list that you'd find in the Bible, but a biblical list nonetheless of seven deadly sins. Perhaps you've heard of them. Pride, envy, anger, sloth, greed, gluttony, and lust. 
But pride is primary. That's the unanimous conclusion of those who have studied the subject for centuries. It is said that it's the first, the worst, and the most prevalent of the seven deadly sins. In fact, it was the first sin. It was because of pride that the angels fell in the first place. It was Adam and Eve. In their sense, it was pride as well, their sin. Because Satan came to tempt them and said, you will be like God. And so who, in their right mind, oh, be like God. I'd like to be like God. That would be great. The very essence of all sin is selfishness. And, the, and pride is the excessive assertion of self. Or as the Oxford English Dictionary so eloquently defines it, pride is an unreasonable conceit of superiority, or, I like this one even better, an overweening opinion of one's own qualities. Maybe you've heard some of these synonyms before. Egotism, arrogance, selfishness, vanity, haughtiness, boastfulness, self-satisfaction, self-centeredness. None of those are particularly admirable character traits. Tony Campolo, in his book on the subject, writes this, Pride is arrogant self-worship. It is the sin of exalting oneself and placing one's own interests above the interests of others. Pride craves admiration and even adoration and will not share the limelight. Pride deludes its victims into believing that they have no peers and drives them to try to destroy anyone who takes recognition away from them. The proud are in love with themselves and seek to call attention to their admirable qualities. And so how have I seen pride affect my life? Well, pride keeps me from learning because I already know it all. Pride makes me defensive when somebody corrects or rebukes me. You know, who are you to tell me how I should live my life? Pride keeps me from repenting because I can't admit I'm wrong or I'll just justify my actions. I love to listen and almost study apologies when they're made by public figures. We saw one this week, if you're following the news. You often see politicians stand in the House of Commons to make some apology for some mistake. And you'll almost always go hear something like, well, I'm really sorry if this offended you, right? Or I only made, you know, it was really only intended as a joke, I'm sorry if it offended you. In other words, you can't take a joke, right? And they turn it back on you. There's no humble acceptance of the wrong that they've actually made or committed. Pride makes me inconsiderate of others because my needs are simply more important than yours. Pride keeps me from giving and receiving service well because I'm above that menial task and I can handle this on my own. Thank you very much. Pride makes me resistant to God's grace because we think we have to earn it. And we think to ourselves, you know, I'm a very good human being. I do lots of good things for my community. The world is lucky to have me. Pride keeps me from agreeing with you because I'm right and you're wrong. So why would I ever agree with you? Pride makes me needy for attention and affirmation. Hey, did you notice what I did? And then I get angry if my contribution isn't somehow acknowledged. 
Pride makes me critical. I put others down in order to lift up myself. A critical spirit often points to an inflated sense of self. Pride causes me to take responsibility for my success. This may mean that I have lost sight of God's gracious and undeserved provision. Pride makes me impatient. When I'm impatient about having to listen, to wait, or to be anonymous, or to be led by someone else, they all hint at an overdeveloped sense of importance. But that's me. How about you? Any of these strike a chord with you? See yourself in any of these descriptions? It's not a fun subject to think about, but because there's this problem called pride, we are grateful and thankful that there is a cure for pride. And the cure, simply in a word, is humility. And here, these three verses from 1 Peter chapter 5 are instructive for us because it teaches us about humility. It shows us a little, about, a little bit about what humility looks like. And the first action that will help our pride is not an easy one. And I don't know why I always get these verses in this series, Pastor Ken. <laughs> but it's simply submitting to others. If we want to experience humility in our lives, it begins by submitting to others. And there's really two parts to this in these verses. The first is about submitting to elders. Respecting elders is a sign of humility. And last week, Pastor Ken led us through the first four verses of 1 Peter chapter 5. And these verses helped us to see how, how churches were organized and how they were led. And the instructions were specifically directed at the elders. The verses that we're looking at today, they follow Peter's explanation of and his directions for, leadership, for elder leadership in the church. And so verse 5 follows in the context of speaking to elders and their qualifications is a clear call for submission to the elders of the church. Now this might be a little fuzzy in the NIV, and I don't know if you've picked this up yet, but Greg, when he read, he read from the New International Version that was first uh, copyrighted in 1984. This is a little technical detail, so you, you kind of go, why, why is it always different? The scripture that almost always goes up here is in the most recent version of the NIV that just came out in the last uh, couple year or so. And there's just little nuances that they captured and, and to, to capture the intended meaning a little bit better. And in, the, in what Greg read, he read, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. But then, if you were following along on the screen, it was just a little bit different, and I think the intent was made a little clearer. There we would read, in the same way, you who are younger, so it kind of puts all of us in that category to a certain degree, it's not exclusive to young men, it says, submit yourself to your elders. The same verse in the New Living Translation says this, in the same way, you younger men, so it loses some of that um, uh, gender um, neutrality in a sense, but it goes on to say, must accept the authority of the elders. Or the English Standard Version, again, comes back and captures this, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And so we have three different ways in just these three translations to capture what, what, what Peter's getting at here, to submit ourselves, to accept the authority, to subject to the elders. But it doesn't really matter which translation we use because the instruction is clear. God expects us to submit to our elders and in essence, no matter what their age or our age. 
Again, as Pastor Ken said last week, maybe age isn't exactly the biggest factor here. We have some young elders at TCC because we're a, a relatively young church. But the young elders that we have, apart from me, are mature and godly. And, and that's true of our older elders as well. I'm 45, and there are a few young elders that are younger than I am, but there are also a few who are older than I am. Much older, in fact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, I just realized that I'm talking about respecting elders, and I just disrespected my elders. So just do as I say, not as I do, okay? But really, Pastor Ken and Bob Teske and Sid Page and Rudy Radke, who has served in, in the past as, a, as, a, as an elder, they're all older than I am. In fact, you're still laughing about that. Did I just single them out? I was kind of do. I did this math a little bit. I think the average age of our elder board actually is around 50. And I can tell you that while I value when Brad or Minoj or Lynn or Mel or some of them speak, but there is something that I think all of us appreciate when it comes to Bob or Sid or Ken when they share their wisdom and their perspective. And the maturity with which they speak. You see, we're blessed at TCC to have these men leading us, even us younger elders. Now, maybe that's a bit of an aside, but here's part of the rub. See, talking boldly about submitting to the elders or accepting the authority of the elders or being subject to the elders, that may make us a little uneasy. But it may, in fact, then be an indication of the presence of pride in our lives. Ouch. But really, if submitting to the elders is difficult for us, or really submitting maybe to anybody, our boss, our employer, somebody in authority over us, if it's difficult for us, then we should ask ourselves, why? Because humble Christians should be able to follow the wise leadership and careful instruction of those who are in authority over them. But there's another part to this, thankfully, right? The second part is submitting to one another. And this might soften the sting of the first exhortation a little bit. Because Peter goes on to say in verse 5, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And you see here that it's directed, first of all, to all of you. First it was those who are younger, and now it's to everyone. The young, the old, everyone included. And we're to clothe ourselves, in essence, like to put it on and, and, and be humble toward one another. And we demonstrate that by submitting to one another. You see, Peter has just finished telling the elders that they are to lead by example, not by domination. And so leadership is, is never about power and control. But neither is it about resisting authority or rebellion. It's about a mutual respect. Whether leader or laity, old or young, Christians should just naturally have a deferential and humble attitude toward one another. We just, we put others first. 
And if we all do that, then it just has a way of working itself out. This is an attitude of the heart, which then has a direct effect on our actions. See, this isn't some kind of limp acceptance of whatever comes along. Oh, that's just the way it is, and I'm just going to submit. But no, it's, it's a willingness to lower shelf, okay, our plans, our preferences, so that we can place someone else's need and their preferences or their priorities and put them on a higher shelf. We defer to one another out of mutual respect. The attitude which with, with which needs to mark our lives is found throughout the New Testament especially. And the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 12 and verse 3. He says, For the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given us. That is the attitude that we all need to have. Now, not only are we to submit to others on a horizontal plane, we also find a cure for our pride by submitting to God. By submitting to God. Andrew Murray, in his book, Humility, writes, Without humility, there could be no true abiding in God's presence or experience of his favor and the power of his spirit. Without it, there can be no abiding faith or love or joy or strength. Jonathan Edwards wrote, Humility is the great and most essential thing in true religion. And John Calvin said, If you ask me concerning the precepts of the Christian religion, first, second, and third, and I will always would answer humility. An overstatement? Not according to the Bible. Scripture repeatedly links our humility and the quality of our relationship with God. There's approximately 150 verses that address God's outlook on the humble and the proud. Let me give you just a few. Psalm 138, verse 6. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. He sees them coming. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. Isaiah 66, 2, one of my favorite verses. This is the one I, this is the Lord, esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. It's a good verse, isn't it? This is the one that the Lord esteems. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Matthew 23, 12, Jesus said, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James chapter 4, verse 6, he quotes Proverbs 3, 34, which, first, which Peter quoted here in verse 5 as well. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, the bottom line is that humility is not an option for those who know God. It is something that we have to humble ourselves before God. We have to ask Him to transform our lives, to chip away at those things that, 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 that 
really reflect not his character, but our fallen nature and that selfishness and the self-centeredness, but he just keeps molding us and shaping us. Yeah, I think that when you're a follower of Christ, that there is a sense that we all have a, de- a desire to have a deeper relationship with God. And, and we look at spiritual disciplines to somehow make that happen. And, 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 and we focus on prayer and worship and Bible studies. And they're, they're all good things and they all help. But I also would say that without humility, I don't think spiritual maturity can ever happen. Because humility is really, in essence, the most important thing in the Christian life. Because we submit ourselves to God and His will for our lives. He's God and I'm not. Jesus taught, blessed are the poor in spirit. What do you mean? He was referring to those that are humble, those who recognize their true spiritual condition. But he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, verse 3. And so what is humility? It's not a a self-hatred or lack of self-confidence. Rather, it is the ability to see ourselves through God's eyes. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because, after all, pride is like a spiritual veil that, that blinds us to the truth about ourselves. In other words, when we're full of pride, we can't even see it. But humility... It causes us to tremble at God's word. It sensitizes us to his voice. It it opens our ears to his instructions and it deepens our gratitude. And it leads us into a deeper dependence upon God because we know how desperate we are for him. That we need him. And by his grace and his favor and his mercy... He is there to provide for us what we need. You think about it. The Bible tells us that God esteems the humble. He dwells with the contrite and lowly. He blesses the poor in spirit. He gives grace to the humble. He guides the humble and he teaches them his way. So simply put, we humble ourselves before God and we submit to his will. I've always wondered what God's opposition looks like. Because quoting Proverbs 3.34, Peter says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Can God be against proud people? And if so, how would we know? What what would it look like? I, I really don't have any good answer for you. I'm just kind of thinking out loud and maybe something for for us to ponder further. But it does say that God gives grace to the humble. And then Peter goes on to write in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And so there it is again. We humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. So how do we submit to God? I think Peter anticipates the question in the minds of his readers. How, how, do, you, you know, how do we show that we've humbled ourselves under God and submitted to his will? And so verse 7, Peter writes, Cast all your anxiety on him. 
Wow, that's it? I thought it would be more complicated than that. You see, the anxiety that was being faced by Peter's first readers was clear and unmistakable. They lived their lives under the constant threat of persecution. And for Peter to address the issue of anxiety was not theoretical, but it was very practical. As normal people living in their day, professing faith in Jesus Christ, they worried about the things that people worry about. They worried about their families, they, their finances, they, they worried about their futures. Actually, when we think about it, we, we realize that the things that produce worry or anxiety in the human heart are the same in every century. They may take on a, a different face, they may be driven by different circumstances, but by and large, it's the same kind of issues that confront us. Some worry about being in crowds. Some worry about being alone. Some worry about change, or the dark, or heights, or he their health, or their kids, or their kids' health. And, and sometimes it just goes over the top. We get a, a little rash or something happens on our hand, and instantly it's like, oh my goodness, it's like flesh-eating disease. And we, and we just run with it. But we all have different things that cause us anxiety. But anxiety has a similar effect on us all. It makes us uneasy. It wipes the smile from our face. It clouds the future. It accentuates the past. Chuck Swindoll, in writing about the subject of anxiety, wrote this. Stubborn anxieties work like petty thieves in the dark corners of our thoughts as they pickpocket our peace and kidnap our joy. Left to do its insidious work, anxiety will eventually drain us of all resources and leave us emotionally bankrupt and spiritually immobilized. That's a good word. You see, the word which Peter uses here for anxiety has as its root to divide or to distract. And again, that's very descriptive for us, right? It helps us understand because it's that distraction in our minds. It causes us insecurity and instability and uncertainty, and it just rumbles around in our minds and we turn on it a little bit. And then it starts to fuel our fears and maybe eventually produce in us this experience that probably has been known to all human beings at one point or another, an almost paralyzing anxiety. What do I do now? And Peter doesn't say that we should deny our anxiety or ignore it or run from it as some try to escape and it often becomes the, the, really the, the source of addictions and everything else. But anxiety follows us around. Have you ever noticed that? If you're anxious at home, you'll probably be anxious at the cottage. But what Peter does say is this. Cast all your anxiety on him. And I love that word because it's a decisive, it's an energetic, and it's a descriptive action word. It means literally this to hurl 
or to throw or to chuck or to get rid of. Let me draw the word picture for you. Have you ever noticed the difference between the movers that come to take your precious possessions out of your home and put them on the truck? Now, if they were chucking and hurling and getting rid of, you'd be like, hey, buddy, little, show a little care, would you? But have you ever watched the garbage guys picking up the garbage once a week during the summer? Right? What do they do? They take that garbage that you've got bundled up in bags and garbage cans and they pick it up and they hurl it as far into the back of the truck as they can. And then the next one and the next one. And you can watch them as they go down the street. It's the same action at every place. They just chuck it in there. They are getting rid of it. So instead of being weighed down by the burdens of our anxiety... Peter says that we are to hurl it, to throw it onto the Lord. You see, worry is really, in essence, a form of pride. Because it involves taking concerns upon ourselves instead of entrusting them to God. And our willingness not to take matters into our own hands, not to struggle in self-pitying anxiety, is an expression of our humility. Because humbly acknowledging God's ultimate control can take away our anxiety. You see, when we take matters into our own hands, we are often indicating an absence of humility because we're concerned with ourselves rather than with God. What we're really saying is that we can't trust God. And not trusting God is an indication of pride in our lives. Now, this is not to say that our issues are unimportant or to say that we shouldn't be concerned, but they must always be brought into the perspective that we have a God and a Father who is incredibly interested in the details of our lives. He knows all that we have to face. And that is why Peter can write, cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let those words settle. He cares for you. You are his personal concern. And the real issue is, do we believe that? God knows you exactly. He knows you intimately. He knew you when you were intricately formed in your mother's womb. He made you exactly as you are. And not only does he know you, he knows all about you. There's no issue that we ever face in our life that is beyond his knowledge. There is no issue that he is unconcerned about. He cares for you. You see, this simple phrase, we can't gloss over it because it's really a distinctive belief of Christianity. We, we have to be experiencing this for ourselves so that we can express it to our friends. Why? Because we live in a world where people want to know that somebody cares. And if we can say to people, I know a God who cares for you. 
Or we live our lives in such a way that people ask, you know, what is it about you? Why are you the way that you are? You have this this uncanny peace about you. You don't seem to ever get anxious. And a response is, oh, yeah, I do. (laughs) I worry about things. I'm no different than you are. Well, then what do you do with your anxiety? How can you explain it? Oh, I, I cast it to the Lord. You cast it to the Lord? Yeah, because... He is my God, and He's my Father, and He cares for me, and He cares for you. See, as followers of Christ, we have to humble ourselves and submit to God. Not with some false cry of bravado, I can handle anything that comes my way. Not by saying I never get anxious, not by running from it or denying it, but doing exactly what the Bible says we ought to do. Humbling ourselves under God's hand, saying, Father knows best. And on the basis of that, giving to him all of our anxiety. We may not be able to remove the cause of our anxiety. We may not be able to remove our unemployment. We we may very well have a doctor's appointment scheduled this week because we have an unexplained pain in our side. And we're uncertain. And our mind is racing. And we may not be able to remove the circumstances, but it's not the circumstances that Peter is addressing here. It's the anxiety that is produced by the circumstances. And it's our anxiety that we cast upon the Lord because he cares for you. He cares for you. That's what the Bible says. Right there, The end of verse 7, five simple words. Because he cares for you. And Jesus demonstrated that he cares for you. Because the ultimate expression of God's care can be seen on a cross, in a nail-pierced hand, can be heard in a cry, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And it can be experienced in an instant when he turned to the criminal beside him on the cross. He said, today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. So what does today mean for you? Can you submit to God and Cast all your anxieties on Him. And trust Him. Trust Him to do a work in your lives that places Him in His rightful place as Lord and King. As we sang at the very beginning, He's the King of Heaven. And He cares for you. He cares for me. And so as we gather around this table, my prayer is that it serves as a reminder of just how much he does care for us and that it serves as an opportunity to once again humbly submit to him.